All right, friends, welcome to the Girls Fuel podcast. My name is Haley. I'm your host and a registered dietitian and nutrition coach. Here with me today are my two assistant nutritionists, Lizzie and Zoe. The Girls Fuel podcast is here to help you along your health and fitness journey by providing evidence and experience-based knowledge and full transparency. So on today's episode, we are super excited to talk to you guys about who we are and what our periods are like. But before we kick that off, let's talk about how our weeks have been going. So Lizzie, how have your last couple days been? Oh man, um, things have been pretty good. Uh, nutrition coaching wise, I started working with some new clients who are totally awesome. Um, I got back last weekend from a big race I did in Arizona. So getting back to training and feeling normal again after that. And uh, we get on some skis because we have snow in Colorado right now. So that's been fun. That's so crazy. And you almost got stuck in the snow the other day. Yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> and Zoe, what about you? Well, thank goodness the opposite of Lizzie. Beautiful weather in North Carolina, lots of mountain biking this past week, um, and some really incredible breakthroughs with some nutrition clients that I've taken on in mm -hmm. the last couple of weeks. So it's been a solid last couple of days. Awesome. My couple of days have been pretty busy. Speaking of periods, this is my PMS week, so sleep has not been my best friend, but you know, pushing through and have had a lot of awesome check-ins with my clients as this week as well. Lots of, you know, breakthroughs, especially as we do enter the holidays and start to talk about what their plans are. Um, we have some weird tropical storm hurricane thing here in Florida today. And Willie, the kitten was very freaked out this morning. We think he's a little sick, but otherwise it has been a fabulous week. I got to, um, Go on my friend Nicole Farrier's podcast last night, which was super exciting. That'll be out in a couple of weeks, but you know, all good things. So, with that, why don't we dive in and start talking about our topic, which is periods? So, what does a normal period look like? So, you know, first, it's important to say that the female menstrual cycle comes in all different shapes and sizes. And contrary to popular belief, your period really shouldn't put you through hell, right? You shouldn't have to call out of work or lay in bed all day or or anything like that. But before we, you know, talk about symptoms and all of that jazz, um, it's important to know that the average cycle length, so cycle meaning the time from one period to the next is 28 days. But most women experience cycles anywhere between 25 and 30 days. However, you know, with hormonal imbalances, different types of birth control, your cycles could be shorter or they could be longer than that. Um, and when we're thinking about, you know, how our hormones interact with each other, we can think about the menstrual cycle having two, or maybe even you can think about it as three phases, right? Where phase one the follicular phase or the menstrual phase starts on day one of your period when you first start bleeding. And that is for most people, the first 14 days of your cycle with ovulation falling right around day 14. And throughout this whole process, through the follicular phase, we are typically 
seeing progesterone and estrogen hang out pretty low, which is, and I always joke with my clients or even my boyfriend, why relative to those two, testosterone is a little bit higher. And testosterone is key for women, for vitality, for strength, for muscle mass and all that jazz. So I always joke and say that on my period, I, it's like my period power week because I feel more energized. My sleep's usually a little bit better because that testosterone is a little bit more dominant. And then we get into ovulation where estrogen starts to take charge and is the highest. And estrogen is awesome. I think it gets a really bad rap, but it actually helps us mobilize fat. It reduces our appetite and hunger. It can improve insulin sensitivity and reduces inflammation. So during ovulation, if you are someone that tracks your your temperature to keep track of your menstrual cycle, which is one option of fertility awareness, you might see decreased temperatures. And then the last part of our menstrual cycle is our luteal phase, which usually takes another 14 days. And during that time, we have higher progesterone. And this is also, you know, at the end of that, the second week before we start bleeding again, when we have PMS. And when progesterone is more dominant, we usually have a lower basal body temperature. We have more insulin resistance. We might be a little hungrier. We also may be experiencing those PMS symptoms like fatigue and maybe headaches and all of these other things before we get our period. So, you know, now that we kind of understand what the menstrual cycle is, we thought it would be a fun way for you to get to know us and also, you know, understand how different female cycles can be and what some people go through with their hormones by hearing about our periods. So... Lizzie, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, so I think I originally got my period in like middle school, maybe. Sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember being like super heavy and awful and hating everything. Um, and that lasted for a couple of years. And then in early high school, I went through a period in my life where I was uh, dealing with disordered eating and I lost my period for about two years. So, you know, at that time I was like, this is awesome. I don't need to deal with this. Mm. Um, right. Like it's a hassle. I don't need to worry about, uh, little did I know that actually had a lot of harmful, uh, consequences, but so eventually I got healthier again, like regained some weight, uh, got my period back. And from then on, it was pretty, like my cycles were really long, like, I think like you're like the typical what's considered normal cycle length is 20, what is it? Uh, 25 to 30 days. Yeah. So um, mine are always like 36, 37, 38 days. And I was like, okay, oh cool, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then uh, shortly after that, I got on birth control. So I have a uh, hormonal IUD now it's oh gosh I always forget the name of it because they all sound like <laughs> weird feminine names um I think it's like Skylina Skyla yeah what like that. that one that one the little one <laughs> um and I have that one and it's a progesterone only IUD and honestly it works for me it's great I was a little worried at first about hormonal birth control because I hear so many like mixed things about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I thought about the copper IUD for a while, but weighing the pros and cons, the copper IUD has um, 
generally leads to like longer and uh, more aggressive bleeds mm -hmm. and like cramping. And I was like, mm, not really sure if that's for me. So yeah, I have a hormonal IUD and I think it rocks. Awesome. And you mentioned that, you know, somewhere along your journey, when you were dealing with disordered eating, you lost your period and you mentioned gaining weight back and it, and it was restored. Would you mind like talking to us about a little more as to why, you know, when we do deal with those eating disorder, like behaviors, we lose body weight, we're restricting calories, our period may disappear. Yeah, totally. So basically like your ability to reproduce um your body only wants to do that if it's healthy right because mm -hmm. bringing new life into the world when there's you know a famine or something going on doesn't really make sense for human survival because our bodies still think we live in like prehistoric time periods mm -hmm. so um yeah so back in high school i you know was not eating enough i was probably eating like a thousand calories a day because i didn't know what i was doing and so I started losing weight. So my body's like, oh my God, something really bad is happening. And so when that happens, right, it shuts down like functions that are not super important. Like obviously like my heart's going to keep beating. I'm going to keep breathing. All that stuff is going to keep happening. But the things that are not super crucial to like surviving in the moment, like reproduction, that gets shut down. So that's kind of what I experienced for a couple years. And it took until I was healthy again I think I ended up gaining back like 20 pounds or so because I was pretty mm -hmm. thin. Uh, so it took, you know, a good chunk of time for my body to be reassured that we were not starving. The world's not ending. And, you know, if the option. Uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> reproduction would be an option because we were not dying, basically. <laughs> Totally. That was a good explanation. And I also love how you flinched at the idea of reproduction. <laughs> I am a dog mom and dog mom only. Awesome. Thanks, Lizzie. Um, and Zoe, I think I'm going to go next because I think yours is a lot more interesting than mine. And I want to save you for last. <laughs> Someone's got to be interesting when it comes to the hormone cycle. Oh, yeah. So my period was also early. I think I got it when I was like 14, 15, had quite a lot of embarrassing moments throughout that time because I think I didn't want to believe that I had a period and would just not wear tampons sometimes. Or I think I like wouldn't put a tampon in myself for like years because I thought it was gross and that I was, and I was just embarrassed, you know, I was like, 14, 15, had boobs earlier than all my friends, a little chubbier than all my friends. And I was like completely horrified. Um, but then, you know, I had a high school relationship that started when I was 15. So my mom was like, all right, well, we're going on birth control. And I was on Lolo Estrin, which is a pretty common like mini pill. Um, I honestly don't even know what, what that one was based on. Um, but Basically, I lost my period probably six months to a year after starting that pill. And I have had friends who are on that one too. Um, and they also lost their periods. So I actually think, yeah, low, low estrogen, like it says, it's low dose of estrogen. So all throughout college and some of grad school, I did not have a period and I loved it. I thought it was the most amazing thing ever, but, you know, being 
in a science major and studying nutrition, exercise science, I had access to different tools at school that would test body composition and that would test bone mineral density. And through college and even grad school, every time I got my bone mineral density done, it was so, so low, which, you know, as females, especially as we age, if we have low bone mineral density, we're at risk for fractures and just not being as strong and falling and all that stuff. So I definitely had symptoms associated with being on birth control. Um, I also didn't realize how bad my anxiety was until I came off of birth control. So I think, you know, on this episode, we're definitely going to talk about experiences both on and off birth control. And it's different for everybody. Um, But with mine, you know, it was good for a while, it served its purpose. But then um, obviously, it's talked about a lot now that people are coming off of the pill and having all these issues with their thyroid or fertility or whatever it is. So once I got to grad school, I wasn't in a relationship. I was like, I am going to come off this. So I was working with a coach at the time for bodybuilding and he helped me take the right, make sure I was taking the right steps, with my nutrition, with my supplementation to come off the pill and regain my period gracefully, which isn't always the case. Um, so did that, you know, I was eating more dietary fats, more omega-3s. I was doing lower intensity exercise. I was supplementing based on what my blood work was showing me. And I did get my cycle back after a month or two. Um, And from there, I've kind of been very lucky where my cycles are pretty mild. And the worst symptoms that I really get are changes to my mood and my sleep, which sleep is something I've struggled with my entire life. So we're definitely going to have to do a whole podcast on it because I am very passionate about sleep. Um, But, you know, my opinion on birth control for somebody like myself who does want to have kids one day and does want to prioritize having those bleeds um, and it's not necessarily an inconvenience birth control coming off of the pill was definitely the way to go. And that's something that, you know, as coaches or as a dietitian and coach, I help other clients do as well. But, you know, Lizzie and I's stories were definitely a little bit more, you know, birth control typical. So Zoe, you're up. Let's hear it. So my periods, I feel like were never typical and I didn't know why for a really long time. I got my first period when I was just about 13 and I just remember it hitting me like a freight train and just crying on the bathroom floor being like, there's no way that this is what I have to go through every single month for the rest of my menstruating life. Mm. And one of the red flags that I now know was a sign of already having the development of endometriosis was not being able to use tampons actually. So, you know, my struggle was trying to use something like that would cause me tremendous pain and it wasn't normal. But at the time, you know, I was just told that you're not used to having period pain. And of course it's going to be uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and kind of just suck it up, use a heating pad, take lots of Advil and get over it. And here's some birth control right? So lots of different birth control methods. At first I was on different combination pills. I would end up having to switch them probably about once every six months to a year, just because I was having such severe symptoms. They just kept trying to find, all right, what birth control is actually going to shut down a lot of this bleeding. 
So eventually I did actually try the Mirena IUD, which I would say was the only form of birth control that really did have any alleviation of my symptoms. But unfortunately, you do eventually hit a timeline deadline where having something like a Mirena IUD really is no longer healthy for the body in regards to just bone density and just continuing mm -hmm. to really shut that system down, right? Like for a really prolonged period of time. So eventually I actually tried something called Lupron Depo therapy with Adback. And so that's where you basically are taking injections to shut down your estrogen production. Wow. And then you are taking oral progestin in order to just give you some sort of semblance of balance in your life. So I went through that pretty young, um, about like the age of 20 or so, and eventually ended up having three surgeries for endometriosis removal. Um, one of them included removing part of my intestine due to a knot that was caused by endometriosis. So something to know about it is that it's endometrial tissue that just doesn't grow within the uterus. So rather than having a period where you're just shedding uterine lining, you're actually having tissue that's growing other places in the body. So the GI tract is actually something that's really common where a lot of women with endo are going to see that in their GI tract. And that's where we see actually a correlation between IBS symptoms mm. and endo as well. Super common to see both of those together in women. So eventually um, at the age of 30, I decided to have a hysterectomy and removed my uterus and tubes and cervix. And that's where um, I ended up with a diagnosis of adenomyosis, which is when that endometrial growth actually grows into the tissue of your uterus. And again, for many women, these are two things that can occur at the same time. And actually often the adenomyosis is what causes the even heavier bleeding than the endo. That is, that is a lot. And when it comes to Zoe, what you, the management of your periods, even before you knew what it was, what would you do to try to get through like all of the, the weeks of chronic pain? Like, was there any changes you made to your diet supplements, anything like that? Oh my gosh. So one of the common things that we see with the endo community is a lot of nutrition and supplements and miracle diets that are really pushed on patients. And let me tell you, I tried absolutely everything. I actually went plant-based vegan for a long time. Um, it's actually how I found out that I was allergic to nuts because I ended up consuming a lot of nuts, a lot of soy and having an anaphylactic reaction. Um, learned that having a plant-based diet wasn't going to work for me. I felt so terrible because I felt like, oh my gosh, you know, this is what is supposed to cure my endo. Mm -hmm. um, but needless to say, didn't work. Um, things like grapeseed extract, that's something that we commonly see as a supplement um, that is given to women. But honestly, the only thing that even remotely worked well was to take a ton of pain medication. And unfortunately for me, that meant narcotic pain medication as well as a little bit of extra magnesium and honestly mm. making the heating pad my best friend. Totally. And you know, endometriosis is probably one of the most extreme things when it comes to, you know, hormone imbalances, dysregulation of menstrual cycles. But I think, you know, a lot of women deal with 
symptoms all over that spectrum. You know, everything from just mild moodiness to full-blown needing to have the heating pad be their best friend. And Absolutely. Would you say, Zoe, that like, what was the warning sign? Like, what was the one thing when you were finally like, all right, like, screw this. Like, the doctors are telling me that I'm just a normal girl getting a period, but this is not right. Like, you really knew something was off. So I got to the point where I had really had this poor relationship with food and honestly an eating disorder that was definitely fueled by the process of like going through endometriosis and kind of, you know, honestly, like that traumatic process of, Mm -hmm. you know, getting a diagnosis and getting surgery. And finally, I hit the point where I was like, my life cannot go forward until I get a solution for this, because you really can't go two weeks out of the month with uncontrollable bleeding and just feeling horrific. And outside of that, also having other symptoms, like for me with those GI symptoms and being in and out of the hospital, because I was, you know, not having a functional GI system. And I would have to like literally have them clean out my intestines. And eventually I was like, I can't live life. Um, So really it can become this very all consuming thing for many women because it becomes this constant, you don't know what's going to happen when you wake up. Are you going to be, you know, bleeding through all your clothes? Are you going to be able to get to work? Are you going to be able to show up in your life? So there's definitely a lot that goes into it. Definitely. And, you know, if you don't mind sharing, did you feel like, you know, you mentioned the eating disorder was probably related to the endo. Did you feel like at that point, you know, the food and the exercise or whatever it was, was the thing that you could control? Absolutely. I think, you know, obviously a lot more goes into eating disorders and are definitely multifaceted, mm-hmm. but you know, it certainly did feed into it of like, all right, I can control a little bit of my life right now. And not to mention, you know, the fact that like what Lizzie experienced with not having a period due to having, you know, that low body fat and just not eating enough. And, you know, you kind of subconsciously put that together sometimes that, Mm -hmm. oh, wow, you know, I'm eating less, I'm losing weight, I'm a lot smaller. And oh, you know, wow, my symptoms are a little bit better, which of course, you know, now I know it's because of that estrogen suppression that's going to happen. But, you know, at the time it was like this subconscious, you know, restriction kind of helps in a way. And also just as a way to honestly escape, right? Like going Mm -hmm. through having those surgeries and, you know, it can be embarrassing. Like you said, you know, Haley, like going through our cycles, there's certain things where we're uncomfortable and we can feel really alone and we just don't know that other people are also going through it. Definitely. And I think that that's one of the main reasons why we need to talk about it more. And I think that's going to be kind of a theme on our podcast. We're talking about things that are maybe uncomfortable or females think that they've never, they're the only ones that have dealt with something like that. But when it comes to, you know, dealing with your cycle, whether you've lost it, whether it's irregular and you're not sure what to do, or, or if you're having that kind of pain, you know, usually there is something that you, you can do about it, but it's important like Zoe did and probably her family, like I know, Zoe, you were very, very independent at that time in advocating for yourself. And that's something that, like, if you had given up on, you wouldn't be in a place now where you can live without pain and do all the things you want to do. Oh, yeah, definitely not. And I mean, unfortunately, I do know people who have endometriosis and, you know, they are on disability because they literally cannot work because they just cannot function. And that's how really severe that it can be. 
Um, but also it's so much more common than we think, um, especially, you know, those people that get to the point like me where they do say, you know, I, I don't want to have kids or I'm done having kids. So I do want to at least get rid of this one symptom, right? Mm -hmm. Because of course a hysterectomy is not a cure for endometriosis in any way. You have to remove all of the endometrial cells outside of the uterus in order to get rid of it. So, you know, it, it does help with the symptoms though, right? Like at least you don't mm -hmm. have that bleeding going on. Definitely. No, thank you for sharing that. Cause I think a lot of people, whether they know they have endometriosis or they think that they might, it's going to help them. And again, guys, we're super open about this stuff. So if you do hear this and you want to reach out to Zoe, like we'll share our Instagrams in the show notes, but Zoe, would you be game to talk about this with someone if they messaged you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can't tell you how many messages I got from people and, you know, women my own age, right around 30 who are like, oh yeah, I had a hysterectomy too. And I just kind of, you know, kept it really quiet. And mm -hmm. they're just like, you know, it's really nice to hear somebody actually talking about it because it's often been something we refer to as like an older, like an elder woman's surgery, yeah. right? Like you think of that and you're like, oh, you know, some woman in her 60s, 70s, 80s, she's dealing with some prolapse, maybe let's go ahead and do a hysterectomy whatever. And I really lived that experience and that kind of stereotype when I was in the hospital because they keep you overnight. And I think I say like three or four days. Mm. And it was so interesting how everyone's like, oh my gosh, you're so young. Like, you know, I expected this, you know, 65 year old when I came in today and saw you on my rotation. And I'm just like, this is not something that only older women have. And mm. we really need to talk about how it does impact women. Cause we hear a lot about how pregnancy can impact our pelvic floor, mm. how it impacts us exercising, all those things. But there's a lot of women out there who need advice of what happens when I've had a hysterectomy. It's really hard to talk about super emotional for those who wanted kids and maybe couldn't have them, but they struggle with exercise. They struggle with, you know, their body post hysterectomy. For sure. And that's, it's really important that, you know, as females, especially like in the fitness and nutrition and even coaching space that we do talk about our cycles as a whole, because like we mentioned in the beginning, everyone's going to be different and it's not an excuse, right? Like if you're literally sick because of your period and you can't go work out or you can't, you know, do what you wanted to do that day, that is, that is real for you. So that's definitely something that is important to remember because there's a lot that can go wrong when it comes to the menstrual cycle that can cause, you know, life-shattering symptoms or even just symptoms that make you feel lost in your own body, which is not how anybody should feel. Absolutely. And one of the things that also I don't think gets talked about a lot is how it impacts your sexual relationships mm. too, because one of the really common symptoms, especially those women who maybe don't get diagnosed with endo for a very long time, I believe it takes about eight years to get the average diagnosis, which is insane. And Gosh. so many women have, you know, are in maybe long-term relationships or in relationships and they're dealing with pain with sex. And there is something to be said about the fact that sexual health is one of the baseline needs of being a human. Mm -hmm. And if every time, or even just often, if you are having pain with sex or pain following sex, especially things like cramping and especially bleeding, those are not normal. And that's not something that you should have to deal with. And mm -hmm. that is 
definitely a reason to say, Hey, you know, maybe your periods are manageable enough, right? Like you can still get to work and yeah, you're not bleeding through stuff that often. But if you're also dealing with pain with sex, like all of these problems are absolutely going to combine over time and compound. And eventually you're really going to want to address them. Totally. No, that's, that is spot on. Like, you know, your body, right? You live in it every day. So whether something feels off because of a symptom or you just have that gut feeling, odds are it is, right? And again, normal doesn't mean the same thing for everybody. But again, if you are having issues that are in some way disrupting your day-to-day, even if it's just your thought patterns, it's important to bring them up. And Zoe brought up a ton of symptoms that of kind of like what can go wrong with your cycle. But I think others that people experience more regularly are going to be things like irregularity with timing, like Lizzie mentioned, the periods being early or late. And this is one reason why it's really important to track your cycle. And there are a ton of methods now to track. And a lot of people use that, you know, for fertility fertility awareness or, you know, pregnancy prevention. Um, But that's something that we have our clients track in their data sheet, they'll write when they got their first their first bleed, and then we'll be able to see how many days they bled for, how many days apart are your cycles, because if things are changing, there are a lot of things that could be causing that, right? If your cycle like changes, obviously we need to rule out pregnancy, but stress is a big factor. And, you know, Lizzie's example is a great one for that because stress can come from a lot of places. It can be perceived, it can be from overtraining, it can be from undereating, it can be from trauma. And like Lizzie said, you know, the period or the uh, reproductive system is deemed unessential. So, you know, there's a disconnect between your brain and your ovaries. And that connection is for a lot of people very hard to get back if you if you do lose it. So, you know, irregular irregularity with timing, irregularity with flow. So if you're having really heavy bleeds or you're spotting a lot between cycles, um, for a lot of people, and this is kind of what they at least initially thought with endo, that's related to estrogen dominance. It could also, you know, be related to irregular patterns of estrogen throughout your menstrual cycle. Lizzie mentioned this, but co- people with copper IUD may experience higher levels of bleeding and then the diet. So the diet does heavily, heavily influence your menstrual cycle symptoms. Um, that's probably something that I've heard a lot from clients within their first month especially if we are keeping an eye on their cycle after the first month, usually, or or two or three, as they're improving food quality, you know, reducing those refined carbs, reducing alcohol and heavy glutens and caffeine, you'll usually see improvements in, in menstrual cycle symptoms. And then, you know, others that people deal with are going to be pain, bloating, and or both. And typically, I don't know about you guys, I get ovulation pain. Do you know when you ovulate, Lizzie? Like, I don't. That's true. Um, well, I mean, yeah, I'm on birth control now. So, but yeah, when I was having like a regular cycle, I could not tell. That's but that's interesting that you can. I think I track my cycle just using my Fitbit app. So I, my clients always ask me, like, especially if they are like coming off of birth control with me, they ask how I track my cycle. Um, and I use kind of a mix of like the calendar method and the cervical mucus method, which everyone's like, ew, but it's like, dude, you wipe every day, you know what your cervical mucus looks like if it's there, which cervical mucus is healthy, you need it for a lot of reasons. But 
with the, you know, calendar, you enter when you first start bleeding and then I enter when it ends. And, you know, after a couple of months, it, it levels out and starts to estimate how long my cycle is. So that way, you know, right in the middle, it will tell me that I'm about to ovulate. So I'm also hyper aware, probably because it's, I work from home and I sit by myself all day. So talk to me. But anyway, um, and I notice, like around ovulation, I do sometimes get cramping um, or or other symptoms. But typically the week before your period is when people will get that that PMS. And that's usually actually due to inflammation from prostaglandins, which are kind of like a chemical signaler that stimulate the contraction of the uterus and the shedding of that endometrium lining. So especially for my girls that do deal with bad cramping, pain, and, and bloating, we'll really make sure that, you know, their diet is in a good spot because food is always first, but then, you know, we'll address things as far as supplements go. Zoe mentioned magnesium earlier. That's always a first line of defense. Fish oil, B-complex, uh, calcium bicarbonate is another really good one. Magnesium and calcium balance each other out really well when it comes to hormones. And then, you know, when it comes to having these symptoms, it's important to talk about them. And I think we all kind of have, ha- have had experiences where we've gone to the doctor and they've just been like, well, just go on birth control or just do this. You know, your, your cycle's fine. Like it's normal. It is what it is. But again, not that doctors don't know their stuff, but I think new knowledge is coming out, especially into like the functional health space that we all practice in to say, well, hey, like if you're miserable during your cycle, if you're having irregular flow, irregular timing, horrible PMS, then something's off. And that's where, you know, hormone testing, um, Dutch tests and stuff like that definitely have their place. Lizzie, what's up? Um, so I know we've talked about some of like the physical symptoms related mm. to periods, but I know personally, like before I get my period, like sometimes like emotionally and mentally, like you just get like super, like I say, I want to just kill everyone around me. Um, like, <laughs> Relatable. like just, you know, like little things you'd be like, Oh my God, that's so annoying. And just like get super like annoyed easily, like super irritable and moody. Um, do you want to talk about that quickly as to like why that can happen and also just reassure people that that is not totally weird and there's a reason for it? Dude, that's so normal. I feel like some weeks this week, it hasn't been bad because I'm supposed to get my period next week. Of course, I'm going to have my period when I go to a wedding and a bachelorette party, which is like, eh, it is what it is. Period power, right? But I know that some weeks, especially if like my boyfriend says something, I or I'll like drop a freaking pencil and I'll almost cry. Like, Zoe, did you ever have stuff like that? Oh, yes. So I'm one of those lucky people who has PMDD, which for the people that don't know the difference between PMDD and PMS is, of course, PMS is that premenstrual symptom. Um, and PMDD is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. So just more severe PMS, usually a lot of like anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. And some people even have some like hypo or hypermania go on during this time. And it just tends to be a little bit longer. So rather than just like the week before your period, a lot of people, it'll be like 10 days or two weeks before their period, they have these more severe symptoms. Um, And so for me, I definitely relate to that mood thing. Like you go to drop a pen and you're just like, 
this is the worst thing that's ever happened in my life. Or for me, especially I'll be like maybe watching something on TV and it just gets me all of a sudden I'm just crying about this very small thing that happened in this fictional world that has nothing to do with my life. I'm just like, why am I tearing up right now? And usually I just sit for a second. I'm like, oh yeah, here it comes. That's what's going on. Totally. That's so that's usually for most people as a result of hormonal shifts. So, you know, like we kind of talked about earlier, I wish you could put like a picture in a podcast because I'm like super visual. So I'm like picturing this like chart thing as I as I say this, but at the end of your cycle, so towards hopefully days, you know, 25, 26, 27, 28, whatever it is, before you're about to bleed, progesterone is getting higher and higher. Progesterone is going to help you with, you know, the shedding of the uterine lining. Um, It is going to, when an egg isn't fertilized, that is, it, you know, halts that, that system, sheds uterine lining, and it takes over, right? So, you know, if you did get pregnant and say, you know, we have the placenta, it takes over progesterone production. So fun fact about pregnancy, when you're pregnant, you produce very little progesterone and you start producing prolactin. Prolactin is what helps you have breast milk. So that's why a lot of females don't get their periods back for like, I don't know, six plus months after they have their baby because when prolactin is high, progesterone can't be high and then we cannot bleed usually. So that's how that balances out. But as far as like what progesterone does in the body is like compared to estrogen, it's known as more of like our sleepy and weepy hormone, so to speak. So, and this isn't a bad thing, but progesterone is a little bit of what makes us feminine, right? It makes us a little more sensitive. It makes us more prone to storing body fat in our lower body than men are. Um, It also induces some insulin resistance. It induces hunger and cravings by making changes to the thyroid function. So, you know, during that time, we are in that more slow and more sappy state. And then what happens next is everything kind of just fluctuates because before our period, again, we're going to have that pretty rapid drop in progesterone. And again, depending on your levels of estrogen to progesterone, your symptoms are going to vary. Because for a lot of people that, you know, are estrogen dominant, they'll have different symptoms. Like for example, um, I was actually estrogen dominant when I came off of my pill, which is not uncommon when your pill is estrogen based. So I'm going to go on a lot of tangents here. So when you're on birth control, if you want to go off, you need to understand the mechanism of the birth control pill. Is the birth control pill like Lizzie's IUD giving you progesterone? Because if it is, that's telling your body, hey, she has enough progesterone. It's like a feedback loop. You know, the ovaries shout out to the brain. Hey, we're good. You don't have to produce anymore. And the signaling stops. So odds are you come off of that pill. What do you need to focus on rising, raising progesterone? So with mine, you know, that was an estrogen-based pill. So when I came off of the pill, my progesterone and my testosterone were zero. And a lot of symptoms that I had, and I've dealt with this a lot over the last couple of years, I've only been off birth control for a couple of years. Um, So symptoms of like higher estrogen related to progesterone are going to be like breast tenderness, headaches. I get a lot of headaches, um, fatigue, 
And then night sweats. I get a lot of night sweats. Not really as much anymore because I balance things. But, you know, when you're coming into that that period, progesterone is taking a huge tanker. So we have that, that switch around. And then, you know, that is where people may have insomnia, aka I have insomnia right before my period all the time. So you might feel, you know, low energy, you might feel extra sensitive to pain, you might feel moody, you might feel irritable. Um, and usually that's going to be because of the changes going from high progesterone, high LH to elevations of that FSH, which is our signaling hormone. So lots of things are going on in your body right there. So definitely give yourself some credit for, you know, existing that week. Absolutely. And I think it's important to know, like a lot of those symptoms are normal, right? Like you're Mm -hmm. explaining, like, here's what's happening and here's like the symptom. And like, there's definitely a level that, you know, we just have to kind of live with, right? Like we kind of know that as being like females, but it's also one of like the beautiful things about being female, right? It's like, we do more progesterone, all those things. And yeah, it's just, sometimes I feel like we are constantly sold like a problem about our menstrual cycle, especially Mm -hmm. with the push of like no birth control that we're seeing on social media. And like, yeah, there are definitely some symptoms that if they are interfering with your life or like you think that they're severe, absolutely address them and look, you know, at it. But there is some level of like, we're going to have symptoms. And sometimes it really helps to educate ourselves on why, you Mm -hmm. know, like listening to this podcast or like looking at your content, Haley, or, you know, just doing some research into like, why does this happen? Because then we can better help set ourselves up to actually deal with the symptoms in a really productive way rather than just being like, oh my gosh, like this again, why is my body broken? For sure. And I think I actually had this conversation with like multiple clients in the last couple of days. I think, you know, the worst thing that we can do when it comes to dealing with these symptoms or a health issue in general is we can overthink it and we can get in those like mind loops, so to speak about, well, this is wrong with me and I don't know what to do. And what if this happens? And what if that happens? And now this, but you know, it's important to, well, get those thoughts out, but also, you know, think about the small and simple steps that you can take every day to just feel better in general, right? And especially when it comes to your period, there's a lot that you can do through nutrition, making sure that you're getting the right amount of exercise. So not too much, not too little, getting outside and getting fresh air and doing just grounding activities, whether that is time outside, whether it's meditation, whether it's journaling, or whether it's watching your favorite TV show. Um, There's a lot of self-care involved in regulating your symptoms and regulating, you know, your emotions related to them. And I know Zoe could talk about this one for hours. So I've had it. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely my wheelhouse. Um, and maybe I should share that little tidbit, Haley, that we were talking about earlier today mm. with like shutting those feelings down or just mm-hmm. those thoughts down when they're not productive. So one of the things that I, or actually the main thing I focus on with clients is a lot of the mental aspect of what goes on within our bodies, our relationship to food and all of that. And a lot of it comes with these thoughts where they just kind of spiral out of control. And it can be important to say, Hey, either this is a healthy thing for me to look at and address, or I am stressing about something that I'm really honestly doing absolutely nothing about except for stressing about it. And so if you are finding yourself in a thought spiral and maybe it's your PMS week and anxiety is higher, you can recognize that, you know that, and you're just 
maybe again, obsessing about something, what you can do is give yourself a mental visual to actually just put those thoughts away. So there's two examples here. And one of them is visualize a box and you are going to put all those anxious thoughts about your period and your symptoms or whatever's going on in that box. You're going to lock it up with a key and you are like throwing the key off the planet, like literally off the planet. You can't (laughs) open the box and you're just going to move on with your day because you can't open the box. So when you go to think about it, you're like, nope, I put it in the box. What else can I do? Because we chose to put this thought away because we recognize that it wasn't productive and it was a thought spiral. And my other example, which is my personal favorite, is picturing a hotel or a motel, right? And your thought is someone trying to check in, except there's no vacancy. They have bad energy. You don't want them there. There's no freaking room. So you tell them to go away and they get in the taxi and they drive away. And it sounds so silly and kind of stupid to some people, but seriously, visualizing this for yourself can be incredibly helpful because what's more silly, continuing to go down this thought freight train of all these things that you honestly don't control or can't control, or going to that silly thought that helps you release that stress. So having a mental visual can just be so damn helpful during your PMS week. I love that so much. I think I've had you tell me that story like three times. <laughs> it's honestly it's so helpful. the one thing that every single one of my clients, like every single one of them, we have this conversation and we figure out, all right, what are we putting our thoughts in so that we mm-hmm. can shut them down? I put mine in a box in the attic and then I forget where it is. Oh, I like that. <laughs> and, you know, before before we wrap up, um, I'm curious, Lizzie especially like, you know, when you're having a normal cycle, are there any considerations that you take when it comes to like either yourself or one of your athletes, endurance athletes and their cycles, say it's a race weekend. What do you do if you have your cycle? Tampons, any extra fueling strategies you'd employ? Yeah. So I think this is pretty individual, but like you said, and you mentioned like period power, um, yeah, you might be running with like some cramps or whatever, but like performance wise, like you're, you're pretty good. Like mm-hmm. you're going to crush it. So if you can just think about like, yeah, I'm on my period, this sucks, you know, put a tampon in. I actually use like the menstrual cups cause they oh, yeah. last longer and they're pretty sweet. Um, but yeah, I think just have like using that little like mental, uh, mental trick where like, I'm actually like super strong right now and I can crush this. So, you know, yeah, you're bleeding, but performance wise, you can crush. So I like to use that to my advantage. Um, But also like on that note of like what we were just talking about regarding like training and stuff. um, One thing that I've like kind of struggled with, like I train mostly with all men, which, Mm. you know, they're fun and cool, but like they're always the same because like hormonally yeah. like they don't have cycles. Right. So they uh, kind of feel good like every day, which pisses me off. Um, <laughs> Cause like sometimes like, you know, the week before my period, like you just might like feel like you're dragging or slower or like, I don't know. You just don't feel as great. Or like in the gym, you don't feel as strong. Yeah. Like, realizing that's okay. And like, you know, like just wait a week and you'll get it back and you'll feel strong and fast and fit again. So like realizing that, like you're not losing fitness, it's just your cycle. Uh, that's one thing that I've had to like work on and remind myself because it's really easy to be like, wow, I'm just a piece of shit today. But, you know, right. 
<laughs> and that's important. That's really important. I honestly take more rest days leading into my cycle, like right now, or like if you are somebody that does yoga or a lot of different modalities, you know, leading into your cycle. So that would be your luteal phase. That is typically when you're going to be better at and feel better doing that low intensity exercise. So maybe it's just like a little bike ride or it's a brisk walk or yoga or non-strenuous strength training, like not training to failure. And then, you know, you come up to your period in the week after your follicular phase, you will likely have a little bit more strength. You're a little bit more insulin resistant. Um, one other thing I'll have clients do, I know Lizzie, you do this all the time. So I think you didn't think it was anything special, but I will take in extra electrolytes leading into my period and during my period, um, because we do lose small amounts of those electrolytes through fluid and blood and stuff like that. Um, I also think it helps with energy when I'm trying not to abuse coffee, which I love so much. But I think we all love coffee here. Yeah, I got some right here with me. It's one o'clock here, so it's my cutoff time. So I'm done. Awesome. Um, do any of you guys have anything else to add? No, I don't think so. This has been a really productive conversation. Yeah, this was yeah, fun. This has been yeah. fun. Awesome. All right, guys. So thank you for listening to our first episode, the comeback episode uh, with all three of us. You can see us or hear us here every Friday or most Fridays, Girls Fuel Friday. Um, and if you liked this, you know, share it, leave a review, reach out to one of us and let us know. And we will leave our Instagrams and information in the show notes for you guys. Woohoo! All right. Bye, guys.